Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 190. This is an episode in our special series recorded live from the Podcast Central at Build. We bring you the best guests for some of the best announcements. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Right now, I'm speaking to Amanda Silver, Director of Program Management for Visual Studio, VS Code, and other developer tools. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm going good. Going good. So um, it was really cool, too, because this morning I saw you in Channel 9 at like 8 a.m. So it just, it fills me with so much joy, like watching like on my home computer somebody, and then I come in and I get to talk to them. It's it's fun to do the shows. Yeah. So so I'm super excited. So we're talking about two main things. We're talking about LiveShare and IntelliCode, both of which are awesome, awesome features. So I figured we'd start with uh, LiveShare. Sure. Um, And why don't we just start with the background of what is LiveShare? So basically what we found was that developers, uh, particularly those developers that were focused on time to market as the thing that would drive their tool selection and process decisions, Mm -hmm. um, were having a hard time collaborating. And so we were trying to figure out what we could do to help them. And uh, one of the things that we found was that those devs tended to kind of avoid like the more traditional software practices like what we might think of as reasonable, safe source code uh, <laughs> management yeah. where developers, you know, all collaborate after a check-in, right? Yeah. And we were finding that basically people were doing a trunk branch where they were all just merging at the same time. We also found that particularly for remote workers, it was really challenging for them to collaborate with mm-hmm. their peers um, for a variety of reasons that I'll get into in a little bit. Of, in a little bit, but basically, what LiveShare is is it allows two developers to share a context, but to use their own tools to collaborate on that context in real time. So a lot of people liken it to the Office three six five or Google Docs for developers. Okay. Uh, because, you know, in, in a way it is like you get to see the other person's cursor and yeah. you can see them highlight stuff and you can see real time edits and that's all true. The thing that makes it not like that is that where a Word document basically has just the context of what's in the document, there's a little bit of grammatical checking, but it's all basically local to the sentence that you're writing. Mm-hmm. In code, mm-hmm. you're actually operating on a multi-line Con, uh, you know, uh, entity, yeah. right? Multiple documents at the same time that have dependencies on things. And so you need to be able to have access to the entire context to be able to get the developer experience that you would expect from VS Code or Visual Studio. That's super cool. And I always think of, um, I've seen like people do like pair programming. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's actually just something awkward too about just like sitting next to somebody and actually doing pair programming. Like I've actually seen it 
work successfully. But I wonder too if this actually promotes some of that pair programming because it's not as awkward. Like you each ha- do have your own. Right. Exactly. Mouse. I mean, one of the things that's so frustrating about screen sharing is that you're like, okay, I'm going to move the mouse now. No, I'm going to move the mouse now. And it's like, you know, or keyboard, you're both using the keyboard at the same time. But the cool thing about this is you guys can actually be fairly independent in terms of where your focus is. Yeah. But then there are mechanisms that we've introduced into the IDEs that, and the code editor that, that help you figure out where the other person's focus is. Um, so you can kind of jump to where their cursor is is actively typing. Yeah, yeah I've done a fair amount of uh, remote pair programming in the past, and it, it's always frustrating. Like you said, you have those multiple different contacts. You have like the remote person, like go up, up, no, no, too far, go back. You know, right, like. right, right. And you have to negotiate like who has control at yeah. any given yeah. time, it's, it's right? Move. <laughs> I, I was watching bef- as we were developing this. I watched mm-hmm. a YouTube video of somebody who thought he had perfected pair programming, mm-hmm. which was, it was a beautiful thing. I mean, basically he had a, an amazing microphone setup um, so that he could remotely pair program with his colleague. He had, you know, headphones and microphones that were at the same level or better quality than what we're speaking on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a, he had one of those like mic stands that like he could have it right in front of his face as he's looking at the thing at the screen. Mm-hmm. And then in addition, he had a, another device so he could be full screen on his own device and then see the facial expression of the other person he was collaborating with mm-hmm. uh, over a video chat, right? Yeah. Um, and that was absolutely necessary for the style of pair programming he was doing. Which is, which is great, but not everybody has access to that. Well, it's not just that. It's like that is a lot of resources and it's that you need to... it's not as good as this. Uh, right. I mean, that's the crazy part. <laughs> I, you know, I'm starting to wonder now. I wonder if we're going to see like... I, I don't think like everybody's going to do pair programming, but I'm wondering if it's going to become much more popular just because of this. Feature. Well, I maybe. I'm, I mean, I think there are like one of the things that um, we've been trying to be really careful about is, you know, there are people who think of pair programming in the extreme programming style of programming where like no right, no line of code should ever be written unless somebody's looking over your shoulder because you need that real time human feedback mm-hmm. as you're writing code. I don't think that we believe that we have to go that far right. in terms of pair programming. For us, the scenarios that have been coming up are are many, but one is how many times do you need to enlist the help of another developer on your team to debug something? Like mm-hmm. pretty much all the time. Yeah, I mean, like probably 50% of the mm-hmm. bugs that you fix, maybe 25% at least, but you know, you need help. Um, and so how do you get that to happen? Or let's say you're going through a code review and you want somebody to actually explain what they did as that happened. Mm-hmm. And you want to share that context as you're looking at it without having to tell them exactly like when to scroll down or to switch files or whatever it is. Um, another scenario that we've seen is obviously the remote case where like you're trying, let's say you're coming up with an, Im- an interface and you're creating a class that implements that interface and you're doing it simultaneously, you know, so that you can kind of figure out what the shape mm-hmm. of your components should be. Um, awesome. you know, that's a really common scenario. And then the last one that, that we didn't think about initially, but it's so obvious once you think about it is accessibility. Mm. Um, for, for many developers who have different uh, vision levels, yeah. um, people use magnifiers, people use voice narrators, people use high contrast mode. And for people who have, you know, normal sight, um, it can be really awkward for them to work in that space. They're just not used to it. And so that can make it really hard for developers with different accessibility needs to collaborate with other devs. 
That's a really interesting scenario. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So, you know, getting into like the details of the technology, what kind of combinations of operating systems and editors is there? Because I can see it kind of almost being like this big matrix. Okay. (laughs) So basically it works anywhere VS Code or Visual Studio works. So I could have VS Code on Linux and VS Live Share works just as amazingly as if it's on a Mac or Boom. And even more so, let's say you're on Linux and you're using VS Code, but I'm on Windows and I'm using Visual Studio. I can connect to your session and actually we can debug together. She just collapsed the matrix. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. Um, I know you, you know, you talked about some of the scenarios that, that you didn't even really think of initially, but have you ever heard of any other interesting uses for this? Um, well, really well one of the things that people are so excited about is the application for um, training and for teaching. Um, and so that's some, definitely something that we're thinking about down the road. You know, we have a guy on our team who's been doing like Twitch style or Mixer mm-hmm. style sessions to do live coding so that people can kind of watch him code. But he also does it with a live share with somebody else. Um, so they can kind of see what that okay. looks like. Is it one to one or can you do a one to many? You can do one to many. Our okay. limit at this point is five. And the reason for that is because we think that once you get over five, there's a, there are more of, UI affordances that we need to have yeah. to make it really nav- like easy to navigate and understand what's going on. So yeah. it just gets clunky after that. It doesn't, like from a performance perspective, yeah. it doesn't get clunky. But, but just from a me working with five or four other individuals, well, imagine, that's the part that gets clunky. 500 cursors. Yeah, I mean, we've definitely <laughs> seen some like mob programming style folks who are really excited about the many-to-many scenario. Um, but I think that like for us to really get this great for that mm-hmm. scenario. What we need to do is to create more um, access controls for like what files you could edit, like right. create some limitations around mm-hmm. there. And then also a way to kind of view uh, the other folks that you're collaborating with. What are they mm-hmm. doing at the time without actually having to jump to their location? Yeah, so, talking about access controls, what, what's the security like this? Because I can, I can imagine you have corporations, you're working on very sensitive code, yeah. IP, yeah. that's going across the internet. You know, what's the secure, security um, aspect? So it's all entirely encrypted. And we've, so, so right now, uh, the default is that it, it basically, like, you have to have a firewall, you have to go through the firewall to be able mm-hmm. to access this. Uh, but, Basically, after you do that, mm-hmm. um, then once you share with somebody, you get a link. And then you can share that link with them. If they have access to that link, then they can try to join the session. But then you, as the host, get prompted to say, admit them or not. Oh, okay. Right? Um, so that link is basically the token, like the security this, token. Yeah, it's a security token. Okay. But it's it's not an encrypted security token. Right. It's just a, a plain text security token. But what we think we ne- we need to do for a kind of more premium level is to have um, more deeper authentication kind of built into it as well. Okay. And then you mentioned like once that initial like song and dance happens where it's going through the cloud, if, if I'm sitting next to the person on the same network, does the communication happen on the network then or does it always go through the relay? So the initial handshake yeah. will always go through the relay. Yep. But after that, it will go peer to peer. Okay, that's very cool. And then, and then if they are not on the same network, then it'll just continue to go through the relay? Uh, yep. Okay. Yeah, and actually... So either way, it just magically Actually, works it's and- been pretty amazing. <laughs> like, like um, because of that, uh, I have found instances where my network might be flaky, and LiveShare continues to work, even though, like, my browser <laughs> isn't working. 
right? Yeah. <laughs> or or not just my browser, like you know, Teams or Skype or something else might not work. Okay. So okay. So it's been pretty reliable. Get back to the security question. One of the other things that we introduced recently is the ability to share a server once you F five. Mm-hmm. So let's say you create a web application, and I and not only do we want to share our source code, but I want to be able to see your local host. So I can now share the local host and then hit that web application. And then further, we've also introduced a shared terminal so that you guys can actually have a shared terminal context. Um, that obviously, because that gives you, it's really a real, real terminal. Uh, <laughs> it, that, that requires, you know, another level of like security thumbs up before, yeah. before that's you get awesome. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> Cause yeah, you get, then you want to trust the person on the other end. Yeah. I mean, that's well, a random person, you know, like, yeah. Hey, I noticed there's a virus on your machine. Can I fix that for but you? But it's so incredibly <laughs> useful, right? Like how many bugs that you encounter are due to the configuration yeah. of the dev box rather than like an actual bug in the source yeah. code? Many. Yeah. And so this helps with that. And then the other thing is like how many collaboration sessions that you've ever had end with, you know, 10 minutes of, of like Git CLI. Uh, navigation, like yeah. basically all of them. So yeah. this this really helps with that. Yeah, exactly. Because anytime I'm like remotely debugging with somebody, it's like show me this, show me this, show me this, show me. It's all it's always a whole bunch of show me's. Right. And this is great because I can like go get a snack or whatever, and then they can just like look at my code and tell me what's wrong with it. Right, so that's right. pretty cool. Um, and then I, you know I don't fully understand like all the capabilities remote devs can do. It sounds like they can do a lot. Can they even do things like create files remotely? Um. So. So. Not yet. Not yet. We're th- that's a common request. I figured that was We're kind of a line. Yeah. <laughs> they can't. They can't create or or delete yeah. files uh, at okay, this so point. Okay. So editing. Yeah, but basically they fun. can do editing. Yeah. Um, they can open files that you might not have open. Right. Um, but they can't do like file level operations. But that's okay. something that we are we are actually looking yeah. at based on feedback. Okay. Cool. So you know, I, I'm I'm looking at this tool as just you know a great way to increase productivity. Um, in, in general, did you notice that like once this got to a certain stage where it was had like a certain level of stability, that, that pr- productivity of the team using it to build itself, you know, went up? And, you know, it almost seems like that's something that yeah, would be cool to measure. Accelerating. Yeah, definitely. I think that will be cool to measure. For our own team that's working on it, it is primarily all sitting in the same room, which is the irony of it. <laughs> Yeah, but we definitely, you know, every Friday we have a bug bash and we have everybody party yeah. in the same, in the same share. If I was in the same room though as somebody, I would still use it. I, and actually like, I think they still do. I don't yeah. think that we are still doing like screen sharing. It's yeah. just that we're not necessarily doing collaborative coding all the time. Yeah. But at, you know, at the same time setting up for, you know, I was building a lot of demos leading up to this uh, build conference yep. and I had to get a feature working that was totally unrelated to live share. And it just so happened that I was like, Oh, like this guy was, you know, across campus, across the Microsoft campus. It would take me 25 minutes to walk to his building and he's so far away. Um, and I was like, you know, let's just use live share. And, <laughs> and we figured out the issue and it was great. That's really cool. Raygun provides full-stack error, crash, and performance monitoring for tech teams. Whether you're a software engineer looking to diagnose and resolve issues with greater speed and accuracy, a product manager drowning in bug reports, or you're just concerned you're losing customers to poor quality online experiences, Raygun can provide you with the answers. Get full-stack error and performance monitoring in one place. 
The next time you're struggling to replicate errors and performance issues in your code base, think Raygun. Head over to raygun.com. Get up and running within minutes and dramatically improve the online experiences of your users. I know we talked about the, you know, you can't create files yet. Um, are there any other limitations off the top of your head? that? Well, so right now it's folder based. And okay. so, um, so, you know, a lot of Visual Studio users would like to see the solution context and wow. to be able to kind of get more, um, you know, ability, like a right click context yeah. menu on the solution. We don't have that yet. It's entirely folder based for the guest. Okay. Okay. So uh, when is this going to be available for everybody to try out? Today, like yesterday. So basically we took, we, we, uh, it previously was just under private preview mm-hmm. where you had to sign up and then Microsoft had to like approve you into the, in the inner yep. circle. Um, we, as of yesterday, it is now open for everybody to try. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And then you came here with not just one awesome feature, but two <laughs> awesome features. So let's get onto the second one. Yeah. Intellicode. Which, which is Intellicode. Which yeah. Is is like it's really amazing. So, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of background on what it actually is? Well, so IntelliCode is basically just a banner for thinking about how could we take AI and machine learning and make developers more productive and development teams more productive yep. um, with the power of of machines. Yeah. Um, and so there's a couple of different things that we we can demo today. Um, one of which everybody can download and start playing with immediately. Um, so there are four different pieces of it. Number one is improved IntelliSense. Today, your your completion lists and the completion mm-hmm. lists for the last 20 years have been static. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, they're alphabetical. Um, but, you know, some folks try to have most recently used or most frequently used uh, al- algorithms to kind of figure out which members to promote to the top. Yep. Um, for, uh, f- with IntelliCode, it's actually trained on a set of 2000 open source C libraries that have over a hundred stars each. So basically it learns from those API call patterns and it knows those API call patterns. And then it combines that with the context of the code that you're writing so that the IntelliSense completion list will actually change over time based on the code that you wrote above. Which is a little bit crazy. <laughs> so, so it's, it starts off being trained by all the, all those GitHub projects, but then it also then learns from the code that I'm, I'm currently writing. Right. So it's almost like a join if you were to think about it like that, but that's not, it's, yeah. it's not physically, not, not algorithmically how it actually works, but it's like it's basically doing a join between the code that you're writing and the model that was, that it was trained on. Okay. That, so I guess one thing that's, you know, pops into my head. Like I do like several styles of development. You know, I, I do web development here yeah. and then I'll still be using, you know, .NET C sharp, but then I might use like a, a more like client or desktop, you know, development. And does it have the capability like to understand like these are kind of different kinds of projects and the kinds of things that I want to see might be different between the two? Right. Yes. Yes, it does. And, That's- and so, like, I think it's going to be really interesting in, in many scenarios. It's going to be interesting for the, you know, super advanced developer who just mm-hmm. wants to make every keystroke be as optimal as possible. Um, but it's also going to be really useful for either the learning developer who's trying to come up to speed on something or a developer who's kind of new to a domain. Like, let's say blockchain, right? Everybody wants to get on blockchain, but nobody has yet 
coded against blockchain. That, that's actually right? super interesting. So, yeah. like, let's say you started coding against a blockchain yeah. API. Wouldn't you love to have the guidance of everybody yeah. who's coded on blockchain before? Yeah. What's the first thing I need to do? Oh, dot create. Or right. Whatever. I don't even exactly. know what it is on blockchain. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> we all don't know because dot, we're dot all compute. learning, right? <laughs> yeah. um, so, so that's I think I think it's going to be interesting for experienced devs, but also new devs yeah. and then devs who are new to a new domain. That is really cool. I did wonder though. I mean, you mentioned like the 2000 repos, GitHub repos that it yeah. was trained off of. So <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm being a little bit cynical, but in those repos, what if there is like common mistakes that are built in those repos? Like, is that going to then flow through my code or, or does it sort of average out where you just haven't really seen it? So that? this is not, is, this is not a static model. Mm-hmm. Um, it, at this point, it is a machine learning model in that it has to, um, in that it has to, uh, uh, at this point, it's a machine learning model in that it has to be deployed on the client so mm-hmm. that you get the performance that you expect as right. you're typing the code. Yeah. Um, but we expect to update it over time so that it gets better over time. Yeah. And so if we're getting feedback from the community or from basically use patterns mm-hmm. that say that, that we're select, <laughs> we're promoting the wrong things, yeah. our algorithm, uh, our model more accurately will, um, improve over time. Yeah, because one thing I can think of is like there's there's probably dozens of ways in, in .NET to do file access, right. and some of those are actually pretty efficient, and some of those are also very per- pervasive because they're the older ones that people say, have, yeah, have learned, older, and then yeah. people just continue to use it because that's what they're used to when there are better ones. So something like this could yeah. you could update the model to prefer the ones that might be more efficient. We definitely could, but and and I think yeah. that's the big interesting challenge here is is like you know maybe that's a setting that we mm-hmm. should put make available to say do you want to have, be guided by the most common patterns or do you want to be guided by microsoft you know guidance and best practices yeah. or something like that or maybe right? even wait by the the, the time because i had i had one i was I, I did some swift code recently and in the the swift code i was trying to figure out how to parse json something super simple yeah and all the examples out there were incredibly convoluted and there's basically a new version of swift comes out like every couple months apparently like they're iterating very quickly json parsing used to be terrible now it's way better and uh it's like one line of code now yeah (laughs) but like every example on the web shows how to do it in 20 lines so um yeah i could see some waiting toward like you know here here's the latest yeah the more recent way of doing things um and then what about um what about finding potential bugs like you know so I've already written my code. Can you point out, you know, some potential issues that I have then? Yeah. So, so the next set of services that we think we want to do for IntelliCode are, um, first of all, styles. Mm-hmm. Can we infer style code styles as people write them? Um, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that we've found is that, uh, that styles are a huge part of the comments that people get as they write code. Um, in terms of pull requests, about 19% of the feedback that people get as comments in pull requests are based on styles. So if we could infer the code styles for your code base and then give you guidance as you're typing it, mm-hmm. that could make onboarding a developer a lot easier. Well, especially if you could almost like infer it and then tell me what my code style is. Exactly. Because uh, if you're a maintainer that you've had something, I, but you've never really published it, right. but you have that informal, like, that doesn't hit, hit fit the code style, eventually it would be nice, like, hit a button, now here, here's the list of rules that this code base actually follows. Right. And now, now you have something that 
you can take that, check that in, and now everybody who wants to commit to you in the future has that. Right. It's really awesome. Exactly. And then, and then that, you know, I don't think that we want to be super prescriptive about what the style should be, but allow you guys to, to have an argument amongst your own team about what that should be. <laughs> no, um, no argument. <laughs> and then I think the, uh, the last part is helping with the review process itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when, uh, a review process, you might have a lot of files that you need to look at and it takes a lot of time. So we can have a, a model that indicates where your focus should be, uh, which files probably carry the most risk in this, in this pull request that you should be paying the most attention to mm-hmm. based on things that indicate that it's a likely, you know, a riskier change. So things like the complexity of the code in terms of the control flow or the dependencies that it might have or... Um, uh, the how much it how much the code has churned or the bugs that are associated with it or the humans that were involved with that code ba- that particular line of code um, all of those might be factors that would lead to say you need to pay more attention and to this particular change that's very nice and then the last part and this is kind of where you were trying to lead me to in the beginning was finding bugs yeah and so this is where we've really partnered deeply with MSR. Um, they basically came up with a brand new machine learning science <laughs> to help us with this. Okay. Um, but basically what they've done is they've looked over uh, code fixes, over iterations of check-ins from bugs, the previous state to the state post the fix. And based on that, they've trained models that help us find bugs in your code, in your code. So stuff like... Uh, you didn't check for null or you didn't sanitize your inputs or stuff like stuff all like that. Kind, all kinds of stuff like that or just simply like a variable misuse. Like mm-hmm. like you used X1 instead of Y1, mm-hmm. right? And in this context, we know that, that you probably meant Y1. Um, or it can be things like you applied, a re- you applied refactorings to this file, this file, this file, and this file. You forgot to apply it there. Yeah. Or, you know, just somehow you missed a rename on this particular uh, variable, and now it's not actually meaning the same thing. Yeah, you know, we we work with like customers and partners that there's a there's a frequent question: How do I add cloud capabilities to my desktop application? Like, you actually have a r- really good use case here, and I I really think like, uh, you know, I wouldn't I like if you had asked me, you know, hey, take Visual Studio, what could we add to this? You know, that would actually use the like the power of the cloud. Like, I wouldn't have thought of all this. Oh my gosh, <laughs> um, yeah. So so that's and pretty amazing. I think amazing. we're just getting started. Oh yeah, on I think that. so too. There's but more stuff. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's I think it's like inspirational to like the our, our customers and partners. So I guess one of the things I'm wondering too, like, is there are we going to be putting out any information on like. I know we're, we're talking to you now, but is there going to be anything that our customers and partners, we could sort of show them, like, here's how we built this? Well, I think, I think that there's many interesting aspects of this, right. but like, one of the big questions that we often get asked, particularly around IntelliCode, is what the life cycle of building a feature that's based on AI looks like. Yeah. And we're just learning that at yeah. this point because, you know, we have a model for IntelliSense that ships on the client. We have a model for bug detection that ships as a part of the service that runs as a part of CI. Um, and so I think we don't yet know. We don't yet know exactly what the life cycle will look like for these features. And we're hoping that by doing these features, we're going to learn that and then codify that in the tool set. Yeah, that's very, that's very cool. 
And then uh, kind of a concrete question. Uh, what about VS Code? Because this is only in regular Visual Studio. Is that right? Or So our initial demo was only in regular vi- Visual Studio, but uh, but these concepts are not unique yeah. to C Sharp. They're not unique to the client. Right. And so I expect that we will be able to surface these things in, in VS Code as well. well. That's good to hear. So, um, you know, kind of tailing off that, is is this going to cost anything or is it going to be tied to like certain versions of... So it's too early for us to say yet for IntelliCode mm-hmm. specifically. The the IntelliSense extension is free and everybody can download it today. Um, but it's also in preview. So we don't yet know yet what the business model is going to be. We want to make sure that it's valuable before we put a price tag on it. Awesome. Very cool. Well, we appreciate you putting it out there. So um, where can people find you online? I'm at Amanda K. Silver on Twitter. Perfect. And Carl, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash whitetechie. So Amanda, thank you so much for coming on here and talking about uh, LiveShare and IntelliCo. These are, these are like game changing as far as like, you know, you're, it used to be that like your editor, you know, was a text editor and then we added a couple of cool features and like this is really taking it to the next level. So this is very cool. Awesome. Glad to hear it. 